today we are in Matthew 19, Matthew 19, starting in verse 13. Then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray, but the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, leave the little children alone and don't try to keep them from coming to me, because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. After placing his hands on them, he went on from there. Just then, someone came up and asked him, Teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? He said to him. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He asked him. Jesus answered, Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as yourself. I have kept all these, the young man told him. What do I still lack? If you want to be perfect, Jesus said to him, go, sell your belongings and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard that, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of, he kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were utterly astonished and asked, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then Peter responded to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. So what will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly, I tell you, in the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or fields, because of my name, will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, go ahead and have a seat. Uh, my name is Ricky, and uh, I serve as one of the pastors here. Um, a man was driving a semi-truck through the good state of Arkansas and trying to get from uh, one place to the next, and he plugs in his GPS, and it gives him the shortest route, and so he's following along on his GPS, and um, it tells him to go over this bridge, and so he comes up on this bridge, and it, yeah, it's, there's wood, there's concrete, there's metal, and he goes across it in his semi-truck, and then this is what happens. Bam. All right, yeah. Didn't go, didn't work out. Now, what if I told you that shortly before this bridge, there was a sign, and the sign said, nothing over six tons can cross the bridge. How much did the truck weigh? 38 tons. <laughs> now, what if I told you that the guy saw the sign? and decided to drive over the bridge, even though the sign is saying, hey, this can only hold up to six tons. If you drive something over bigger over it, it's not going to work out. It's not going to go good. But he still said, let's just go anyways. You would think, hey, it's not like it's a seven-ton truck, and hey, could it hold? It's, it's 64,000 pounds too heavy. What were you thinking, man? You from Iowa? 
He was from California. But <laughs> the, you know, like we would be like, that's insane. What were, what were you thinking? It's so obvious that it's not going to hold, and you're going to put you're going to put the truck at risk. You're going to put maybe falling in the river at risk. You're going to maybe get injured and put that at risk. What were you thinking? Now, what if you were possibly doing the same thing day in, day out, month in, month out of your life, but you're driving something that is actually far more weighty than a semi truck, and you're risking something far greater than just falling into a river? Are you day after day driving the weight of your life, the weight of your soul onto things that were never meant to hold it up? And because you're, you're placing your life on these things, your life is just filled with anxiety. You achieve something, but you just think, well, I need to achieve more, achieve more. It's never enough. You get money, but it's never enough. You, need, you, feel, you still feel it. And you feel like just moments in your life, you kind of wake up and you think, ah, but something's lacking. I'm still missing something. It just isn't enough. Or you run to this thing and you get this sense of, you know, a momentary pleasure. But then immediately after, there's shame. There's guilt. And whatever you thought it was going to give you, it just didn't. You have a life of comparison. What if there was another way? What if there was a different path? A different bridge that you're actually meant to drive your life, your soul on. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Matthew 19. It's the first book of the New Testament. Uh, so it'll be about two-thirds of the way. Matthew, Mark, Luke. So Matthew 19. <clears throat> In verses 13 through 15, all these kids are coming up to Jesus and the disciples are like, nah, get away. You know, stop bugging us. And Jesus is like, no, don't hinder them from coming to me, which is kind of odd because in the previous chapter 18, he said, don't hinder any of these little ones. And then a chapter later, the disciples are like, skedaddle, scat. And then <clears throat> verse 16, this rich guy, this rich young guy shows up. Now the disciples don't go shooing him away. You know, this guy seems like, yeah, we would like him as part of our group. He seems like the ideal candidate. He's young, he's rich. And so in verse, <clears throat> excuse me, 16, he comes up to Jesus and he says, teacher. So he views Jesus as having some authority, having some wisdom. He's coming to him. And through this first, the, this man's questions and what he approaches Jesus, here's what we see and then what he approaches Jesus. He has false assumptions. So if you're writing down, if you want to keep notes, that's the first observation. First point is false assumptions. And he says... Teacher, what good thing must I do <clears throat> to inherit eternal life? And so his, 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 his major false assumption is this. He thinks that, that Christianity, his relationship with God, being made right with God, is based on something that he can do. What good thing must I do? That's his false assumption. He thinks, well, if I can earn it, I can, I, can, I can get it. I can accomplish it. He thinks that this is something that he can acquire. Now, he still has some sense about him. He has a sense of uncertainty because he thinks, you know, if, if, if he thought he was completely fine, he wouldn't even come to Jesus. 
So he still thinks that there's something, that, uh, something else that he needs to do. But if you, kinda, if you notice, he thinks it's just a little bit more. He doesn't think it's crazy. He doesn't think that he needs to do something drastic. He's like, Jesus, I'm going to come to you. What, what good thing must I do? Just tell me the thing, and I'll do it. I can do it. He has this assumption. Hey, if, if, if I would just go and do blank, then I would make it. Then, then, then I get the thumbs up from God. He hits the like button. He subscribes. We're good to go. Me and God are, bam. Why? Because I did that. Did the last thing. And so he thinks that he can make himself better. I mean, we, I think a lot of times we, that's what we think. We, we, we think that giving, being a Christian, following Jesus, being, being right with God is just kind of giving this a mental assent to God. Yeah, I agree with you. You're real. There's a God. And then now I just try my best. Clean myself up. Smooth out the rough edges. Now notice Jesus in his response. You know, he says, hey, what good thing must I do? Jesus doesn't ask the guy, what have you done? Jesus isn't asking for a resume. Show me your credentials. Show me how spiritual you are. No, he says, he says this, verse 17. Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. Right? Is it, is it, he's saying there's only one that's good. It's God. Hey, you want to do the good thing, but if you're not good and only God is, then how can you be good? Right? I mean, that would be the implication. I could tell you to do something, but you're not good. Only God is. You aren't. And then Jesus tells him this. Well, there's only one good. Well, you want to know what's good? Look at what the good God has said. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Now, this, this is um, th- this interesting thing. Again, because G- Jesus is, is showing this guy something like, actually, you can't be good. But Jesus is doing something here. He's trying to get at something. And so w- with the man's reply, you kind of see, see the false assumptions keep coming out. Which ones? That's his reply. I mean, if, if he's really paying attention, he'd be like, well, if, wait a minute, if there's only one that person that's good, the implication would be that I'm not him. But he doesn't go there. He doesn't say, Jesus, well, if I'm not good, then what can I do? That's, that, that would be a logical response. But he's like, well, just tell me which ones. Keep the commandments, check. Right? Just, just tell me it, and, and here we go. Again, I can do the right thing. If I could check every box, then I can acquire it. Because if I do the right things, then I'm good with God. I could make it the rest of the way. Which ones? Verse 18. Jesus answered him, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as yourself. I've kept all of these. So Jesus, he lists off several of the the Ten Commandments. And all of these pertain to uh, our relationship with one another. Um, You know, that there would be things that you could kind of see a little bit more external things. And he sums it up, well, love your neighbors yourself. And the guy responds with, done and done. Check. 
done them since I was young. Now, I think that this is kind of like actually prevalent thinking where we're at. I've, I've, done, the, I, I've done the right things. I haven't done any of the... It's not like I've killed anybody. I'm not, I'm not like a really bad person. We, that, that's how we kind of approach God. Hey, I went to VBS. I've, I've, I grew up Catholic. I grew up Lutheran. I, I go to City Light. I go to church. Tell, just tell me the good things, you know? I don't yell at my kids too much. Right? Do, do you see? I'm hitting the checks. You know who's not hitting the checks? That guy. That person. And we think, well, then I'm okay. But again, the reality is, is Jesus said no one's good. Romans 3.23. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. He has this false assumption. Christianity, my right relationship with God, is something that I can just kind of add to my life and just kind of do. Now, I know it's easy for us to think like, well, I don't know if I really have that assumption. Yeah, it's grace, right? But I, do you really understand how big of a deal your sin is? Now, I'm not trying to make you feel shame. But be honest. Do you really think that your sin isn't that bad? Do you think that your sin is such a big deal that without something else outside of you that it separates you from God? That it's that big of a deal? I mean, here's a way to to help you think like you might be kind of dabbling in this assumption of, you know, it's, well, if I just add something, if I just do something good, is... You have the comparison mentality. Yeah, I sin. I make mistakes. But you know who's really bad? That person. That person that thinks that way. That person that holds to this worldview. Person that does these kinds of things. Or that puts these kinds of things on social media. Or votes this way. Or thinks this way. Or does these things. Man, I'm glad I'm not like them. Because they're the real bad people. Right? And we, we, oh, there's a lot of people out there that have this intellectual agreement. Yeah, God's real. But they're not really looking at like, man, my sin is such a big deal that Jesus had to die for it. Now, Jesus, when, when he gets to his response, he's, not, he's really not saying, well, if you just obey these commands, you're good to go. It's not really what Jesus is doing. Jesus is, is getting to something. Jesus is not pointing back to the law. He's not introducing the law to show this guy how he can be saved. Jesus is pointing him to the law and the commandments because he needs to be saved. He needs Jesus. He needs something else. And here, here's the thing, if, if we don't think, again, not in a shame sense, but if we don't think our sin is a really big deal, then we don't think the grace of God is a big deal. It's just not that amazing. It's, it's an add-on. It's a slap it in. Just mix a little bit of grace in it, maybe. 
And so Jesus, he goes on, he keeps pressing in. Verse 20, I have kept all these. But the man told him, what do I still lack? He, he gets it that he, that he lacks something. If you want to be perfect, verse 21, if you want to be complete, you want to be whole, Jesus said to him, go sell your belongings and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. When the man, young man heard that, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. And so like we see that this guy has this false assumption, man, I, I could do it, I can make it, but something's still off. And so he asked, what do I still lack? And Jesus, Jesus does, just, I love Jesus' response here. Jesus doesn't say something, you know, the guy's like, what do I still lack? And Jesus doesn't say, hey, you're fine just the way you are. It's okay. Jesus is not really concerned with making this guy feel better about himself. And Jesus says, go sell everything. Right? This feels like a big demand. I don't, there's not another place, another interaction that Jesus has where he just literally tells somebody, get rid of everything. And so what, what is Jesus doing? Why is Jesus pressing in him in this way? And this is the second point is this. Jesus is pointing out his false idols. Second observation. Second thing is false idols. Jesus is like a doctor here. He knows, hey, this is the infected area. Here's the cancer. And he goes after it. Notice in the commands that Jesus said to keep, right? They're all kind of external things that you can notice between your relationship uh, with other people. And he mentioned the, the commandments, commandments five through nine. And then with this interaction, guys, like I've done those, check. What do I still lack? And what Jesus is doing with, the, with this, this interaction that he's doing, he's like, hey, what about the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. How's that one? Go sell everything you have. Come follow me. Because that is what is going on inside of this man's heart. He's serving other gods. He has an idol. That's what his life is about. I can't give this up to get God. Uh-uh. Because this... This is what his life was about. That was the God that he was worshiping. And Jesus isn't saying, hey, just go sell all your stuff and then you're good. Hey, you can earn it. That's not what he's saying. The emphasis here of what Jesus is pointing him to, man, come and follow me. You, you, what you're lacking is, is Christ. You're putting something else before God. I'm sure at the beginning of the day, this guy thought his wealth was a great benefit, and at the end of the day, it's actually a great barrier. His idol was too big. And it's easy for us to be like, yeah, that guy had a problem. I know Jesus is important. But do we, do we approach Jesus the same way? We, we approach Jesus with like, well, he's an add-on. He's a side gig to my life. Sometimes he's the number one on the list. And then maybe family and friends and job or whatever. But let's just admit, like, that gets jumbled around. Because why? Something's going to push Jesus out of number one. Drop down the list you go, Jesus. Here's what Colossians 1, 16 through 19 says. It says, for everything, just listen to these words, for everything was created by him. 
in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Everything you see, when you look in the mirror, that was created by Jesus and for Jesus, not for you. Everything was created by him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might have first place in everything. First place in everything. Jesus is not second, he's not a mascot to just cheer you on in the things that you want to do in your life. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Everything was created by Him and for Him. He didn't create everything just for you to give up an hour on a Sunday morning. He's not okay with table scraps or for you to just kind of squeeze Him into your priority list. I don't really think, it's, it's not even that there really is a list, God and number two in these things. It's that Jesus is number one in everything. At your job, what's number one? God. In your home, what's number one? God. With your kids, God. With your schedule, God. With your money, God. He is number one in everything. And Jesus is pointing him out, pointing out to the guy. You shall not have no other gods before me. It's an idol. For you, what, what it, what's an idol for you? We all have them. What are you relying on to give you life? To give you meaning? What is it that you're making your life about? You worship it, it gets your attention. It gets the first and best of your attention. It gets the first and best of your allegiance that you will sacrifice to make sure that you do that, you get it. And it gets the first and best of your affections. And if you don't have it, you feel less. I mean, just like, like that guy, money, money is a big idol. Sometimes that you're, and you might be like, oh, maybe it's not money, but it's what money can get you. It can get you security. It could get you comfort. It could get you more stuff. Are you chasing that bigger paycheck, bigger paycheck, bigger house, newer car? And you think, well, if I just get that, then I would have arrived. Maybe, maybe for you it is, Status, power, recognition. It's not that God has a problem with wealth or money. But if you love it as much as you love Jesus, then that's a problem. I think another one, big one in the Midwest is family, kids. And again, it's not that Jesus has a problem with family or kids. But do you love them equal to Jesus or even more than? That they, they're really at their first place in everything. Approval, that's one I struggle with. I'm chase, we could chase what people think of us. Man, do they think, man, new person, do you think I'm a good speaker today? Oh, crud, idols, not fun. 
You, you say certain things or you don't say certain things because you want that approval. Maybe it's some sort of physical gratification. Here's just, just like an easy way to kind of help you see, a little bit of self-diagnosis to help you see what your idol is. Wallet, time, prayer. You will lie to you, but your wallet will not lie to you. Where's your money go? That'll probably tell you what you really value in your life. Or where, what you don't really value in your life. I mean, I'd say, I'd say and I'm not saying this like a, you know, because I, like I'm after your money or anything like that, but I'd say if you are not giving to God, that's probably an indication that money is an idol. Point blank. You could, you could try to massage it and be like, oh, blah, 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 blah. But it's probably just because Jesus is not getting your first and your best. Time, again, just what do you give your attention to? Prayer, I think prayer is a big one because that shows you what you really care about. And a lot of times our prayers is actually just praying for more security, more comfort, more stuff. Or, or Jesus, I'm in a moment of crisis, please take the wheel. And that's fine to pray for all those things. But is there anything of just like, God, I want more of you. God, I want to see you. I want to know you. God, I want you to move through my life in, a, in, in beautiful ways to be a light to the people around me. What has primary place in your life? What do you struggle to place? It kind of peeks up in there. Because here, every idol, they all have one thing in common. They're telling you a lie. Every one of them. And the lie is just basically two sides of a coin. The lie is telling you, I can do what only God can do. I will give you joy. I will give you happiness. I will give you fulfillment. I will give you everything that you want. And on the flip side, it's telling you, and God isn't that big of a deal. God really isn't that good. Right? The, the young man has money. He has it, and yet he still sees that he lacks something. I mean, Solomon in, in Ecclesiastes, I mean, Solomon, he was king of Israel. He's loaded. He has tons of wives. He has tons of concubines. And this is what he, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 2. He says, all that, my eyes, I des- all that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I haven't even lived like that for an hour. I mean, could you just imagine living like that for months? All that my eyes I, de- that I, all my eyes I desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure. When I considered all that I had accomplished, all that I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be awesome, to be futile. I mean, this guy's like, I've tried it. I've done everything. I denied myself nothing. Achievements, women, money, security, comfort, nothing. And what did he find at the end of it? Fulfillment? No. Emptiness, vanity. Right? And we feel it. You're chasing that thing and then you get, you're, you're chasing money and you get a little bit more and then do you fun, suddenly feel amazing? Maybe for a day. 
And then you're like, well, now it's not enough. And just think, remember what the rich guy came looking for? Eternal life. That's what he wanted. What did he leave with? His money. No eternal life. He still lacks. Why? His idol, worshiping only God, at the end of the day, money won. And he left still lacking. Not coming to what he actually needed and to what he did, what he wanted. And I think just like him, we do the same thing. And we're just like that trucker in Arkansas. And we're driving our truck, we're driving our soul, our life onto things that were never meant to hold it up. And then what happens? Boom. It collapses. And then we, we get the truck out and then we just drive right back over it again. Maybe it'll be different this time. And it never fulfills because the, the idol keeps lying to you. And then there's Jesus. Jesus is doing this in this passage and he's doing this in your life. And Jesus is like that sign. Whoa, whoa. It can only hold up this kind of weight. Stop. Your soul, your life is far too weighty for this, this money, this idol, this thing. It's not going to hold. Stop. None of these things will give you what, you're, what you need in real life. They're not the source of joy, source of peace, source of love. And in Mark 10, it's the same story. And there's, there's just a, a little phrase there in Mark that it doesn't have here in Matthew, but I think it's implied here in Matthew. And so the guy says, and I've done all these since my youth. What do I still lack? And then Jesus, it says that Jesus looked at him and loved him and then told him to go sell everything he had. That's still this, like we, we think that Jesus is, is here and he's just trying to zing us or zing the guy. But Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus is saying this to him in absolute love. Give up your idol. Give up what you're holding on to. That's never going to deliver. Wrong bridge. There's only one big enough, one good enough that can bear the weight of your soul, and that's Christ. We need, we, we need to kind of see the godness of God. We think that, that sometimes this other stuff is not that much better than God, or maybe not even better at all. Sometimes we think that Jesus has no right to ask us to give up whatever it is, or that we don't need to repent. Or that's, it's really not that necessary that we give up whatever our idol is. But God knows you and he loves you. And he's wanting you to point your life to the only thing that is worthy of your worship and what your soul desperately needs. We need to keep everything in its proper place. Nothing is greater than God. And so Jesus... He tells him to give all of these things up to point out his false idols. He left grieve, verse 23. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it's harder for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I've heard that this, this, this text is talking about like a gate 
where the, you know, a pin and the camels would be on one side and it was really hard to get the, the camels to go through it. Actually, just in studying farther, that's not at all what he's saying. I think he's just saying exactly what he's saying. It's really, think of the largest kind of animal that you can think of, common animal. Oh, a camel. Can you imagine taking that jumbo camel and going through a really tiny, small hole like a needle? Well, no, I can't imagine that. That's impossible. There's no way you could do that. Exactly. And this just goes to smash that first assumption that the guy had. Well, you could get it. You can earn it. Nope, it's impossible. You can't do it. And he said, and then when the disciples hear this, that they have the same reaction. They're astonished. Well, then, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. Right? You can't earn it. You can't achieve it. You can't get it. You can't be good enough for God. Oh, but with God, all things are possible. That's just the third point. The, the impossible made possible. With God, it's possible. Now, now I do think that with, with people that have a lot of money, that have a lot of riches, I think that there is probably some, some hurdles that make it a little bit more difficult maybe to see their need for God. But I don't think that this is limited to rich people. It's, it's impossible for the middle class to get eternal life. It's, it's impossible for the proud. It's impossible for the people that do homeschool. It's impossible for, for those who grew up in church, but with God, it's possible. But with God, it's possible. Because He's the only one that can save us. None of us. We've all fallen short. In Matthew 7, it, Jesus says, many will come to, to me on that day. Hey, did, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we heal people? Didn't we do this? Didn't we perform miracles in your name? And Jesus, over and over, the scriptures are telling us over, the answer to eternal life, to being right with God, to being saved, is never, didn't I or didn't we? The only answer is, didn't he? Didn't he die for me? Didn't he love me when I, was, when I was at my worst? Didn't he pay the price for my sin? Didn't he raise from the dead? Man, how, how am I made right with God? Because of Christ. By grace alone. Through faith alone. In Christ alone. That's only how we are saved. Only possible through God. And so Jesus... He's pointing this out to them. And then, then Peter says, well, see, we've left everything, right? What's in it for us? And then Jesus goes on to explain, well, you're going to sit on 12 thrones and hey, if whatever you've given up for me, you're going to receive a hundredfold back. And again, Jesus isn't saying, well, if you just do the right things, you, you earn it, you get it. But what Jesus is saying that whatever it is that you give up, that you sacrifice to know Christ, to be saved, to follow Him. Whatever you give up, you get far more in return because Christ is it. Whatever you give up is far less compared to what you get in Christ. Because I think when we see this passage and we see Jesus telling them, go sell everything, I think that we have this response of a little bit like, yeah, Jesus is telling them up to give up the good stuff. 
Jesus is telling them to give up all the riches. And when we think of Jesus in our life, we kind of are like, Jesus, if you get too close, you're going to tell me to give up my good stuff. Jesus, if, if, I, if I follow you too much, you're going to tell me to give up. You're going to compromise my schedule. You're going to compromise my money. You're going to compromise my wallet. And you're going to ask me to give up the good stuff. But in reality, Jesus was leading him and he's leading you not away from riches and treasure, but deeper in. He's not leading you away from the good stuff. He is the good stuff. Jesus is the riches. Jesus is the treasure. He's not leading you away from like these these things that are so much more valuable. He's leading you to true value. True treasure in Christ. It's Him. Again, the guy wanted eternal life. John 17, Jesus says, and this is eternal life to know Him, to know God. That's eternal life. Jesus came to give us that life. And the more and more that you grow in your relationship with Christ, the more you realize just what Jesus has done for you. Those false assumptions go away. There's no way I could save myself. There's no way I could clean myself up. There's no way I can just add some Jesus to it. The more and more that you realize that, and the more and more that you realize that Jesus really is greater than everything. Not that those other things are, aren't good or fine, but they're not God. You see just, man, Jesus is incredible. Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, hey, let go of that. Come follow me. Come to the real treasure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, that that you are worthy of everything, Lord. You're worthy of it all. And so, Lord, I I pray for us today, Lord, if, if, if there is anybody, though, Lord, that's just kind of has maybe a false assumption, Lord, and, and just isn't trusting in you for their salvation, isn't trusting in you to be made right with God, not by anything of their effort, but totally because of what you have done, Christ, Lord. I pray that, Lord, that, that you just humble them, that they trust in you, that they'd give their lives to Jesus and trust in you as their Savior. And Lord, I pray for our fall of us, Lord, if there is, if we're just wrestling with with something that, that we're kind of putting the weight of our life, putting the weight of our soul on some sort of idol, Lord. I pray that we would just take a step today, Lord, that, that we take a step in just realizing that, that in acknowledging that, to asking you to even to reveal that to us, Lord, but also just taking a step towards confessing that to you, maybe confessing that to someone else and to just move towards repentance and, and to that you may always be get our first, get our best, and be always the greater, the greatest thing in our life. And so give us that strength, God. We ask this in your name. Amen.